Hey everybody, welcome back into the deep end. My name is Tim. I'm the host, and I'm so glad that you were here. We got a lot to talk about when it comes to the news. Uh, cancel culture strikes again, and maybe it's back to the old issue that we talked about last week. We're canceling what we shouldn't cancel, and we're not canceling what we should. Welcome to your favorite night of the week. This is the dim deep end. This is the deep end with Tim Hatch. I am beloved. The men they call David, the son of a Jesse, the John I slay it, the heart full of king, three stones in a sling. I'm dancing my clothes off to the sound of the beat. Ah, welcome to the deep end with Tim Hatch. The Deep Ed is back here. Here we are, back in the new studio, and I'm so glad that you are here with us Tuesday night, every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Well, almost every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Uh, I want to make sure that you do me a favor, if you would. It is the 17th episode of Season 4. We've been putting a lot of work into the Deep, the deep End lately. Would you do me a favor and subscribe at YouTube.com slash The Deep End TV. YouTube.com slash The Deep End TV. That's where we want you to go. That's where we want you to go. All the time. Okay. Uh, thank you for joining us on Facebook. Thank you for joining us on the radio. Thank you for joining us in your favorite podcast app. But if you could give us a like and subscribe as well on the Deep End uh, YouTube channel, that's really the best place to get all the Deep End content. Okay. Um, we're uh, also going to welcome in those of you watching on Twitch, watching on or listening on Spotify and on radio in Rhode Island and in Tampa Bay. Um, yeah, lots to get to when it comes to the news. But before we get there, uh, we have my book that is all already out. It's called Move, Entering into God's Promises for You. Check it out at timhatchlive.com slash books, timhatchlive.com slash books. And there's new Deep End swag, such as the Deep End Tumblr and some new t-shirts that are available at uh, the website, which is thedeepend.tv, thedeepend.tv. So new swag, there's a book. And it's all available on thedeepend.tv. And you can follow us at all of our social media accounts because that's how you're going to get free stuff with us on the deep end. Uh, follow us on our social media accounts. And uh, that gives you uh, content access, really. Content access uh, to what we talk about. It also, uh, it also is where you can enter into contests to, um, you know, uh, uh, fill in a simple answer to a question and then you can find out uh, if you win the content. But there's so many other things going on for you than just this on the deep end. I am I'm excited to be here. Uh, make sure if you would, would you drop us some support down below? Uh, the Deep End is supported by listeners and viewers like you. Go to thedeepend.tv slash give or cash tag us, The Deep End TV. And follow us on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Love to have uh, conversations there with you. Uh, but we got to get into it because this, this news cycle just keeps getting crazier and crazier. So let's get into possibly your favorite segment. I don't know if it's your favorite. It's my favorite segment of The Deep End. It's The Deep End News. Yeah, the news you'd choose if you could choose news. Well, I don't know about choosing this kind of news because this kind of news is sad. Uh, today is Tuesday, uh, March, what, 23rd. Uh, today, uh, a crazy gunman strikes again. And uh, this happened this time in Boulder, Colorado. Last week, it was in Atlanta. And we're going to get to that news in just a moment. But in Boulder, Colorado, a gunman opened fire at a supermarket, killing 10 people. And our hearts grieve with the families of those 10 people. And our heart and our prayers are to them. Uh, it's a very sad day for that great city. And it's just a, just a repeated experience in our world that just shouldn't be, right? This shouldn't keep happening. But things are dark in many areas of our world. And we, you know, every time there's a, a shooting and this is what's going to happen again, the gun rights argument is going to be brought up. Um, 
to me as a biblical theologian, it's very simple. Guns don't kill people. <laughs> people kill people. And if we don't use guns, we'll use knives. If we don't use knives, we'll use, we'll use whatever. Um, and that's the sadness of the human condition. Instead of addressing the problem, we, we address the tool. And the tool is not the problem. The problem is the human heart. Uh, which brings me now to some news that we brought up last week. Oh, and when it comes to these shooters, we shouldn't name the person. We shouldn't give them FaceTime. I don't think we should put their faces on the news. I don't think we should talk about their names. I think that's what they want. Um, we should ignore them completely, yeah? Uh, this brings me to uh, a topic for us here on the deep end, which is, again, we talked about it last week. Who's getting canceled next? Who's getting canceled next? Pepe Le Pew, c'est moi. <laughs> Pepe Le Pew has been canceled. He has been taken out of the new edition of the... Um, Upcoming film Space Jam. Yeah, I know you were really looking forward to seeing Pepe Le Pew in Space Jam Part 2 or whatever it's called. But he is no longer in the scene that they were going to include in the movie. Why? Here's why. Because of an opinion piece from the New York Times. I kid you not. An opinion piece by the New York Times author Charles M. Blow. Uh, the, the article is six Seuss books bore a bias. Racism must be exercised from culture, including or maybe... Or, or maybe especially from children's culture. <laughs> so he writes this article, and this article goes on. It's a hard, it's a somewhat, a, a, you know, good article. It's not a bad article, but I think that he brings up ridiculous examples of how the country is racist and why. I mean, he opens fair enough in the in the uh, opening of, of the article. He says, "As a child, I was led to believe that blackness was inferior, and I was not alone. The black society into which I was born was rooted with these beliefs." It wasn't something that most, if any, would articulate in that way, let alone knowingly propagate. It says, rather, it was in the air and the culture. We'd been trained in it, bathed in it, uh, acculturated to hate ourselves. That's sad. I didn't know that this was the reality for black people in our culture. We need to hear these stories. It's not, I'm not, not uh, blasting this guy, but I think he gets off track here because he says it happened for children in the most inconspicuous of ways. It was relayed through toys, dolls, cartoons, and children's shows. Fairy tales and children's books, really? That that's that's where racism came from. Those those places. <laughs> then the meat and potatoes of the article. Here's here's the quote. Uh, some of the first cartoons I can remember included Pepe Le Pew. Listen to this next line. Who normalized rape culture? Okay, dude, you lost me. <laughs> Charles Hemlo. Pepe Le Pew, ladies and gentlemen normalized rape culture really the skunk from looney tunes the skunk from looney tunes is what you get out of this is what you get out of pepe lupio he normalized rape culture and animated skunk helps solidify rape culture into the american society okay uh women all over the world according to charles emblo are in grave danger grave danger because this little pixelated stink bomb would grab, kiss, and subdue against her will uh, a cat that looked kind of like him because he kind of looked like a cat and a skunk. Mm -hmm. Again, when you disregard facts, when you try to fix the wrong problem uh, or fix the right problem with the wrong solution, such as canceling Pepe Le Pew to deal with rape culture, this is where we get to. I was called into the ministry in, in pastoral ministry in 20, I'm sorry, uh, in uh, 
well, when I was uh, 13 years old. Never, never did I see myself defending Pepe Le Pew in 2021 as a minister of the gospel. <laughs> this is just, this is just not what I saw happening. I mean, the question has to be asked, who gets canceled next? I mean, it used to be humor. It used to be entertainment. Now it's horrific rape culture inspiring. These are instructions, Pepe Le Pew, instructions for men on how to subjugate and take advantage of women. But is Pepe Le Pew the problem? When we have Grammy Award shows that popularize and, and uh, gl glamorize sexual domination and prostitution, when we have solidified into law through the Supreme Court, the exploitation of women through pornography and deemed it freedom of expression, when all sorts of vile sex acts are depicted on video screens and on Netflix television shows, Pepe Le Pew is the problem? Let's ask the question, really, who's to blame for rape culture? Who's to blame for the objectification of women? I went over to stream.org, and it's a news site that I can't recommend enough. Stream.org has an article, and the article title is Pepe Le Pew or Hugh Hefner, Who is the Real Villain? And this is by J. Roback Morse and M. Maddox. It was published March 16th, 2021. The article says, A cartoon skunk is now the face of rape culture. Pepe Le Pew, the love-struck, clueless, ostensibly French romanticizing Skunk has found himself in the crosshairs of the New York Times columnist Charles Blow. In a recent column, he said that the, bes the besotted skunk normalized the sordid culture of rape. In an otherwise thoughtful piece on how children experience racism, which I agree with, by the way, Mr. Blow tossed away condemnation of a cartoon skunk, garnered him, garnered him the most attention. And again, sometimes I think these cancel culture stuff, it's just they just people just want attention. In response to the outcry, he doubled down. Unfortunately, blaming a cartoon character for rape culture minimizes both the suffering of rape victims and the deepest roots of the problem. She's so right about this. So the better cultural icon to cancel would be someone like Hugh Hefner. Yeah, uh, Hugh Hefner. And the deep root of rape culture problem is the sexual revolution itself. Yes, amen, sister or brother, whoever wrote this article. Later in the article, it writes this. It says this. If we are going to retroactively cancel cultural icons because of their encouragement of rape culture, let's start with Hugh Hefner. Reflecting on his work in an interview in 2010, he said this, quote, Hugh Hefner. The notion that Playboy turns women into sex objects is ridiculous. Women are sex objects. End quote. Hugh Hefner, 2010. Did you get that? He didn't say, don't blame Playboy for objectifying women. Women are, that's all they are. They're just, they're just sex objects and that's all they should be treated as. <laughs> this, is, this is ignored and Pepe Le Pew is canceled. Could it be that sexual sin and violence actually have a, a scientifically proven link. Sexual sin, not cartoons. And violence have a scientifically proven link. In the article, which I'll put up on the screen again, he says later on, Dr. John Faubert, a leading expert on sexual violence, examined the link between pornography and sexual violence in a recent article. He found that, quote, 95% of the time when someone is violent with another person in pornography, usually a man toward a woman. The recipient is shown as either liking that violence or having no objection. Pornography teaches boys to hit girls and shows girls that they should like it. In addition, Mr. Blow's own colleague at the New York Times, okay, Nicholas Kristof, wrote a blockbuster report on how Pornhub profits from sexual violence. Kristof's article featured the terrible story of a woman, now 23, who was adopted from China. Her adoptive parents forced her to appear in violent porno pornographic videos uploaded to Pornhub from the time she was nine years old. This is in the New York Times. This is an article in the New York Times from not too long ago. How, how porn Pornhub traffics in child pornography and the uh, sex slavery of children as young as nine. 
The same report from the New York Times quotes the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's statistics on how exploitive content of minors has exploded. In the space of four years, from 2015 to 2019, there was a shocking 964% increase going from 6.5 million reported exploitive images to 69.2 million reported such images and videos of children in pornography in four years. But Pepe Le Pew is the problem. So let's make sure we're understanding the facts according to the New York Times itself, who I wish Mr. Charles Amblow would just walk down the hall and talk to Nicholas Kristof about this, but he doesn't. <laughs> he wants attention, I think, in some ways. Pornography has proven it has been proven to objectify women and endanger our children. And this is not the problem. Nobody talks about it. Nobody, nobody's canceling Pornhub. The article concludes with this, line, with this line. Focusing on a cartoon character when the porn industry makes billions is a cheap shot. The porn industry might actually fight back. And perhaps that's why no one comes for them. By the way, just some dangerously... Nasty stats on porn. Porn. The porn industry makes more money than Netflix right now. Porn sites receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined each month. This is out of the Huffington Post, by the way. America produces 60% of the world's pornography. 60%. So this country is the porn capital of the world. 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. Ah, but we can't talk about that. No, 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 no. We can't talk about that because Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> Hugh Hefner's a hero. Hugh Hefner's a hero of freedom of expression, just like Larry Flint before him. They write movies about these guys. They, they celebrate these guys. These guys aren't going to get canceled. They're cultural icons. Pepe Le Pew, my friends, that's the real danger. He is the one we must hold accountable. You see, if we identify the real issue with our culture, then we actually have to repent of real sins. And that's not something that our culture likes to do. Real sins need to be repented of. This is my problem with cancel culture. This is my problem with cancel culture. Cancel culture is a high ground, is a moral high ground of posturing for those who have forgone the moral code of Holy Scripture. That's what it is. Moral high ground posturing is denouncing the speck in someone else's eye when there is a log in your own. So instead of, instead of calling pornogra pornographic material sin, because after all, that's just freedom of expression, we cancel a fake skunk. Uh, we, we cancel a fake, fake skunk. Now, now, this ties into another recent horrific mass shooting. This, the shooting uh, at, the, uh, at the spas in Atlanta, Georgia. Eight people dead in Atlanta area spa shootings. Suspect was arrested. This is last week. Six of the victims were Asian women. And we don't care about the other victims and what they were. Why? Because it's not about the fact that the shooter himself confessed. His motivation was that he was a sex addict. It's not about the fact that the, the shooter said that he went to shoot up these spas, which were known for uh, engaging in sex acts with their clients. He went in to shoot them up because he considered these spas a temptation for him that he wanted to eliminate, quote unquote, his words. He wanted to eliminate a temptation that he, that he was 
faced with. So he goes into a spa and he shoots up these people because he's sick. He's sickened by what? He's sickened by the human condition that when it uh, when it feasts itself on pornographic imagery like this suspect did and on sexual immorality, that is a desire that can never be satisfied. Your sexual desires can only be satisfied legitimately in marriage between a man and a woman. And when you try to satisfy those desires outside of that that boundary, you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to find the fulfillment that you're looking for. Lust is a legitimate desire gone haywire. Did you hear that? That's what lust is. And when it goes haywire, it goes really haywire. So this this suspect uh, was deeply religious, went to a Baptist church, could not control his desires uh, to visit these massage parlors and engage in sexual acts. Uh, so he went into bouts of depression. Um, he felt like he was never going to overcome it. Uh, his old roommate who lived with him for six months said that he would frequently go to the massage parlors and express guilt because of his Christian faith. Now, if we take now if we take that at face value, if we take that that confession at face value, we have to ask some questions. Here's the questions we have to ask that that our culture doesn't want to ask: Is sex addiction that powerful? Is sex addiction that powerful? Can sex addiction lead to murder? So, I mean, my, my wife loves to watch this show called Dateline. I think every housewife does. Honestly, every wife does. Sorry, not housewife. That might be sexist. Every wife does. Dateline which is a show about who gets murdered, who did it. Nine times out of 10 is because of adultery or money. Nine times out of 10 is adultery or money. Sex leads to murder. Illicit sex leads to murder. Yes, it does. Facts. But instead of saying that the problem is uh, his sexual addiction, his porn addiction, because we'd have to have serious conversations about what's wrong with our country. No, 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 no. We're not going to talk about that. What is it going to be? It's going to be about racism. Racism is the problem. Racist misogyny. Of the Atlanta spa shooting, says the Huffington Post. Stephen Colbert, who used to be funny, even goes so far as to say it's really Trump's fault because of how often he said the China virus. So the <laughs> Colbert, what on earth? Do you understand that you were an entertainer? Now, now he's a political pundit who's out here to tell us that every problem in the world is because of Donald Trump. Let it go. He's not president anymore. Over at the NBC News.com site, Nancy Wang Yen, Atlanta spa shooting suspects bad day defense and America's sexualized racism problem. So it's not just a sexual problem, it's a sexualized racism problem. It's racism plus sexism, not just lust, because then we would have to have a serious conversation about lust in our world. And the author of this particular article here on NBCNews.com, uh, Nancy Wang Yen, says that she was walking through the airport one time and experienced uh, racist misogyny when she walked by a guy and he said, quote, I'm sorry for the words, me so horny, end quote. And she said he was disgusted by it. It was a white guy that did this to her. But where does that, where does that line come from? You know where it comes from? It comes from a movie called Full Metal Jacket, written and directed by a guy named Stanley Kubrick. So should we be canceling Stanley Kubrick and Full Metal Jacket because he did not portray uh, Vietnamese women uh, very positively? The line actually comes from a Vietnamese prostitute who's trying to pick up some American soldiers. This is, but this is again our country's fascination with absolving 
the problem of lust and sexual immorality, which is rampant in this culture and exported around the world. Again, America exports 60% of pornography around the world. We don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about how racist we are, how racist we are. And so we have our president stepping in on this, president and vice president. They meet with Asian American leaders in Georgia. According to people.com after the spa shooting, we cannot be complicit. Vox.com says, the Atlanta shootings can't be divorced from racism and misogyny. On and on and on it goes. I could give you 10 more articles. I just don't have time. So instead of murder and general hate for your fellow man, now it's white supremacy and anti-Asian bias. And America must deal with this horrid history. Or we could just blame Donald Trump. Or how about this? Let's blame his religion. Yeah, let's go after his religion now. This is at NBCNews.com. Again, uh, here's the article title. With motives still disputed, some point to shooting suspects, religion, and shame. And then, and, and so basically, uh, that article talking about how uh, he struggled so much with his, the, his religion's high moral standard for sexuality, he couldn't take it anymore, and it led him to shoot, shoot up people at the spa. Uh, I read that I read an article on WashingtonPost.com. Christian leaders wrestle with Atlanta shooting uh, suspects Southern Baptist ties. So now it's the Southern Baptist's fault. And I read that article. It's amazing how they leapt over rationality to say that even the church's uh, pastor's sermon the week before the shooting talked too much about Jesus coming and wiping out sinners. So maybe did he hear that message about Jesus coming out and wiping out sinners and maybe he misinterpreted that and, and decided to wipe out sinners on his own? I mean, this is where we are as a culture. We are doing what Isaiah talked about in his day, Isaiah chapter five, when he says, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. Instead of dealing with the problem, we, we celebrate it. The problem is lust. The problem is the human heart. The problem is the issues here in the human heart of all of us. <laughs> we we, we got to come to our senses and realize that, <laughs> that every murder is rooted in hate. It doesn't matter if it's white killing whites, blacks killing blacks, Asians killing Asians, or any mixture of those races killing each other. All murder, friends. Fact check this. All murder is rooted in hate. Premeditated murder. I'm not talking about manslaughter where you accidentally kill somebody. Where did I get that idea? I got it from a guy named Jesus. Matthew 15, verse 19. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to, eat with unwash, but to eat with unwashed hands. He says to eat with unwashed hands. That's that's not the issue. Okay, back up in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, when he says, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. What are you talking about? He's saying this. He's saying that your, uh, that, that your anger and your heart is the problem. If you have anger in your heart, it could possibly lead to murder. All murder, premeditated murder, is the result of hate. It has nothing to do, well, it does sometimes with you know the race, but, but, but can we actually have a discussion about the fact that this guy said, no, it wasn't race. It was the fact that I, I have a lust problem. Can we actually identify the problem as Americans? I don't think we can because we are so busy redefining sin. We're so re busy redefining sin. Let's go back again to Matthew chapter 15 when he says, um, it's your evil hearts 
where thoughts, evil thoughts come from, murder, adultery, sexual morality. That's what defiles you, not eating with one washed hands. Now, why does he mention that, not eating with one washed hands? Because the Pharisees loved to redefine sin as well. The Pharisees redefined what was sin and what was not sin. Eating with unwashed hands was sinful, so wash your hands before you eat. Now, that's actually a very good principle. I'm not against that. But they were saying that was more important than, uh, you know, loving your enemy, loving people who were not like you. So the Pharisees could go around and hate the Samaritan, hate the tax collector. That was perfectly fine. Hate the Gentile. But don't you dare eat with unwashed hands because that is real sin. And that's where we are as a country right now. You, you, you can uh, export pornography around the world. Uh, this country can produce 60% of the, con- uh, of the world's pornography. Uh, 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 pornography sites get more traffic than Google, for heaven's sakes. Uh, but that's not the problem. No, no, no. The problem really is racism. And I agree that racism is, racism is evil, but there is a constant narrative that is being foisted upon our culture and especially upon our young people that, that is, is coming to the point where we, we, are, we are indoctrinating people into the idea that the original sin is racism. No, the original sin is pride. The original sin is pride of the human heart. We are, every person who is uh, a a human being outside of Christ is is, is a follower of the devil. His problem was pride. He wanted to be like God on his own terms. That was the original sin. But, but this is the other unfortunate fact about pornography. It traffics in racism. People don't want to talk about this either. This is out of uh, Fight the New Drug a website that is devoted to uh, fighting pornography and porn addiction. The title of the article is How Porn Industry Capitalizes on Racism and Racist Stereotypes. And it goes on, this long article talks about how often pornographic websites uh, special, uh, cater to uh, racist stereotypes uh, to, to help people you know, get, get whatever they need, satisfy themselves. And, and, and there's this former uh, performer named Vanessa Belmont in this article, and she was a biracial performer. She experienced the racist core of the porno- pornography industry herself, not only her, but her boyfriend, who was a person of color as well. She said, my boyfriend grew to hate doing porn. Why? Because he was constantly told to act more like a thug stereotype. He got passed up many times because he was not dark enough and because he was uncomfortable being rough, being rough with women and calling them racist names. This isn't pornography. He wasn't good at playing into the scary black man persona. These are her, her words. So directors went for the guys that could. <laughs> we're not canceling pornography. Pornography traffics in racism and we're not canceling it. Why? Because, I don't know. Because why? We love to redefine the sin. And we love to be just like Pharisees. This culture, cancel culture, is pharisaical. It is pharisaical because it elevates itself and what it has deemed as sin in Jesus' day, not eating uh, eating with unwashed hands, but in our day, racism and white supremacy are the original sins, and every other sin is, you know, they're not, they're not, not that important. And, and this is why I say cancel culture is a problem, because it's pharisaical. It's let us decide. Let us decide. We are the purveyors of morality now, and we get to say who is right and who is wrong. So Pepe Le Pew is evil and, and godless and must be abandoned, and Pornhub, mm, well, we don't want to go too far. See, here's the, here's the real problem. When we don't identify the true cancer, we will inevitably, inevitably treat the wrong ailment and society will successfully avoid what it desperately needs, redemption. That's the problem. We need redemption. We, and and, and we, we need redemption because um, <laughs> we're all sinners, right? We, we, we hear a ton about white supremacy. I want to talk about woke supremacy, woke supremacy. What is going on is a redefinition of sin and a reorientation around what is righteous, good, and pure. So those who denounce murder as a uh, problem, 
so those who denounce murder as really a problem with racism can blame others as the bad people and attempt to define themselves as just and morally righteous. They do this instead of seeing the problem of the human heart. All of us, myself included, and you too, by the way, have an evil, godless, God-rejecting bent. It's called the flesh. It's called the sin nature. And we all need a savior. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And that's the news. And I know it was long, but I think it was worth it. Because the fact of the matter is, the more we focus on what is not the problem, the more and, and, and that our culture continues this narrative of cancel culture, wherein the moral high ground Pharisees of the day decide and determine what is really sin and what is really not sin, the more confused God's people are. And frankly, we need pastors who will step up and speak up and say, no, this is what scripture makes clear about the human heart. This is what scripture makes clear about sin. And please hear me now, racism is sinful. Absolutely, it's godless and evil. It rejects the beautiful image of God on, on human beings who are of a different color than you. It's disgusting and should be denounced, but it is not the original sin. There's a lot of other sins and one of the major sins of our day is sexual exploitation, sexual morality, which we refuse to talk about, which actually degrades and devalues the image of God on women and men across the world. And we, this country, the United States, is the number one culprit. We need to repent. We need to look to Jesus. We need to come clean through his blood. Amen. That's the news. I know it was long, but I think it was worth it. Uh, we got to get into the life of David because we're going to tie it into the life of David. Watch this. Life of David, part 17, season four. I call this this talk, the masters of our destruction, the masters of our destruction. And I know this is a dark title. Masters of our, our, the masters of our destruction. And I would like to say the prince of our salvation. Maybe I could have added that to the title. It would have been not so dark. Um, yeah, we are in the early days of David's reign as king over Israel. These are the early days of David's reign as king over Israel. And I've been saying this over and over again, that if you uh, remember, um, Saul's kingdom is the kingdom of this world. And David is the anointed king who has been selectively chosen to one day overrule and conquer Saul's kingdom and take over the land of Israel. The land of Israel is a picture of our lives in Christ. And, and so here's what we are. We are, uh, by nature, we are in the kingdom of Saul, selfish and self-destructive, and we need a savior. We need an anointed savior who will come and take care of our true Goliath. And then even against our own resistance, such as Saul resisted David, uh, even, even as we reject him, we need a savior who will pursue the will of God for us and ultimately conquer our hearts. Got that? That savior is Jesus. And David is a picture of Jesus who conquers our hearts and brings us back to God. And the early days of David's anointing as king are a picture for us of early days in Christ when we are young in the faith. That's where we are in 2 Samuel. And I want to go to the this verse again, 2 Samuel 3 verse 1. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. And this verse is really like the roadmap or the groundwork for 
uh, Second Samuel three, four, and five. That's really what the ground. That's really what this is about. Samuel, Second Samuel three, four, and five are really about this long war, as David grows stronger and Saul grows weaker. We as Christians need to have this attitude: Christ grows stronger and self grow weaker. Got it? Christ grows stronger self grow uh, weaker. And I, I put this on the screen again. This is the um, map that we had talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, wherein we have this small section here, I'm going to circle it in red, of the uh, Davidic kingdom that was, um, that's where David reigned for seven years. And then I'm going to circle it in blue, the rest of Israel, which was the Saulene or the Saul kingdom, a uh, m- lot more ground in Saul's kingdom than in the Davidic kingdom. Why do I share that? Because it is, again, a picture of our salvation, a picture of our sanctification, that our true and better David, Jesus Christ, is in the business of taking more and more ground from ourself and bring it into submission to himself. Got it? That's where we are. That's what first is, um, that's what Second Samuel uh, chapter three, four, and five are about. And we've already talked about the fact that there has been... Um, some serious problems in in the uh, in the kingdom of Saul, and it's just going to continue here in the uh, fourth and fifth chapter for, for 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 Saul's kingdom. Saul's dead. Remember, this is the end of First Samuel. Uh, we've talked about that. But uh, his son uh, Ishbosheth was made king by Abner, and um, we soon learn that the kingdom of Saul is dysfunctional. It is uh, dis is divided. It's disoriented. It's those three things that we talked about with the devil, what he seeks to do. He seeks to divide, destroy, and uh, um, uh, disorder you, right? That's what we talked about last week. Well, that's what the kingdom of Saul is. It's a, it's a kingdom of division, disorder, and uh, uh, d- uh, destruction, right? So these early days of the, of the Davidic kingdom expose the, the disorder in Saul's kingdom. This is a picture that when Jesus comes into your life, listen, this is good. He's going to expose the division, the disorder, and the destructive bent of your human heart. And he is lovingly and kindly going to take, take control, take the anointing of God upon himself and rule piece by piece in your life. It's called sanctification. That's what I, That's how I read 2 Samuel because otherwise there's no point to these texts. Otherwise, these point, this is just history. But I think that there is a spiritual principle here that ties to you personally. So let's get into it. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1. When Ithbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died at Hebron, his courage failed, and all Israel was dismayed. Now remember, Abner was killed by Joab, and David was not happy about that. Joab kills Abner in cold blood. David does not like it, but David does not take any kind of vengeance on Abner. But the the greater problem here is that we see the kingdom of Saul. There's coups, uh, there's division, uh, there's defecting to David, there's uh, a fight for power. This is your reality. This is my reality. (laughs) We don't understand how messed up we are apart from Christ. We don't understand that as people who are of born into the kingdom of Saul, again, as a picture of, of, our, of, of the flesh, we are destructive by nature. We are tormented by our own desires. We are, um, we are struggling within. So we'll have evil thoughts, murders, fornications, lies, and adulteries in our heart, like Jesus said in Matthew 15. And so here's the point. The point is the struggle inside is real. That's the truth. The truth about you, the truth about me is there's the struggle going on. I've got this, this kingdom of the world in me and it's filled with disorder, it's filled with division, it's filled with destruction and it's constantly trying to destroy me. 
And so I can fight racism and imprison every racist in the world, but until their heart has changed, nothing has really happened, right? You know, that's, a, that's, that's the that's my point about social justice. It's like, yeah, you can get that guy to, to go to prison who's racist. You can do that. Yep. But he goes to prison as a racist. He still hates you. Oh, and I can post the black square on my social media to say that I believe black lives matter. But if my heart's not changed, what does the black square mean? I want the heart to be changed. Christ wants the heart to be changed. Because the struggle is not outside of us with what we're posting on social media and how we're treating our fellow men. The problem is here first. Everything flows from the heart. That's why scripture says, guard your heart, for out of it flows the streams of life. Okay? The struggle inside is real. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 23. He says, I see in my members. Notice the word members is plural. I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin and death that dwells in my members, plural. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself uh, serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Members is plural. And I want to tie these together because he's saying that I'm complicated. There are more, there are members within me that are vying for the throne of my life, just like in Ithbosheth's reign there's abner who is lusting after his concubine remember that that was last week right remember talk remember that talk and then there's uh ishbosheth who's kind of like an anemic leader uh and now we're going to find out that there's even more people under the reign of ishbosheth who want ishbosheth dead and and so this is what you see in the kingdom of saul this subversive disorienting disordered divided kingdom that is destroying itself. That's why the title is The Masters of Our Destruction. Uh, so let's get into it and let's see what happens. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 2. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of raiding bands. The name of the one was Banna. The name uh, of the other was Rechab. Uh, sons of Reman, a man of Benjamin of Beeroth, for Beeroth also is counted part of Benjamin. For the uh, the Beeroths fled to Gitaim and have been sojourners there to this day. Okay, notice that there are, their names are mentioned here because we are intended to understand that there was there was some infamy to these guys. They were known. They were not strange to the land. They were they were captains in Saul's army and. Uh, this is what they do. Check this out. It says in verse four, Jonathan, the son of Saul had, well, first off, there's this little, there's this little sidestep here. Verse four, Jonathan, the son of Saul had a son who's crippled in both his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame and his name was Mephibosheth. Okay. Now that table that for this episode, please. We will get back to Mephibosheth. We got to get back to these two captains of Saul's army. Um, the sons of Rimon. So verse five, it says this, the sons of Rimon of Barath, the Barathite, Rechab and Baana set out about the heat of the day. They came to the house of Ishbosheth as he was taking his noonday rest. And as they came into the midst of the house, as if to get wheat, they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Baana, his brother escaped. Now look what happens next in the next, uh, what, what the next verse says. When they came to the house, as he lay on his bed in the bedroom, they struck him and put him to death and beheaded him. They took his head and went by the way of the Arabah all night and brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. And they said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. The Lord has avenged my Lord, uh, the king, this day on Saul and on his offspring. Okay. Now, this is a coup, right? That's what this is. This is a coup. The, 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 the two men attack. Uh, uh, Ishbosheth, under whom they serve, 
And what you have to understand is their motivations are clearly listed in the text. They are trying to curry favor with David. They're like, here's his head. And they're probably hearkening back to when David brought Goliath's head to Saul. And they say, hey, here's the head of your enemy. We did it. You know what they're doing? This is what they represent. And, and, and this is important. This is why these stories are important for us. They, they apply to our spiritual life. They represent a works righteousness mentality. I can save myself. I can become my own savior. I will kill Saul for my, I will kill my own sin nature. You can't, you can't kill this whole sin nature. Going back to uh, Paul's words in Romans seven, who wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? In other words, I can't, I can't save myself. Rahab and Baana, they think that they're going to get praise and reward from David for killing uh, Ishbosheth. And this is the, again, the sin nature in us. We have this subversive, this, you know, the unsubmissive nature. It's the Saul, Saul kingdom inside of us. We need Jesus to overrule and, and flush this out. And we're trying to always like make a name for ourselves. We're always trying to, you know, get ahead. We're always trying to, you know, become important people, save ourselves. That's what, that's what these two men uh, envision for me. Uh, they, they represent for the story, for our Christian development. Okay, now let's continue in the story. Here's what happens. Here's how David responds. Verse nine. But David answered Rahab and Baana, his brother, the sons of Rima and the Barathite. As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity. When one told me, behold, Saul is dead and thought he was bringing good news. I seized him and killed him at Ziklag, which was the reward, which was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more, verse 11, he says, when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house and on his bed, shall I not now require the blood, his blood at your hands and destroy you from the earth? And David commended his young men and they killed them and cut off their hands and feet and hanged them beside the pool of Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron. This is crazy because what you have to see here is there is a point to our spiritual life in this story. These guys are from Benjamin. They should have been supporting Saul and Ishbosheth, but they don't. They try to subvert him because they are representative of the Saulian kingdom, a self-centered, self-destructive kingdom. And they are representative of our flesh nature that is always trying to seek to justify itself, to glorify itself, to accomplish its own salvation. And it can't because the sin nature is that strong. You cannot beat your sin. Do you understand? You cannot beat your own sin in your own strength, in your own strength. I want to make sure that that's the qualifying, qualifying statement there. This is why Jesus will say in John chapter six, verse 63, the spirit gives life, the flesh accounts for nothing. The spirit gives life, the flesh accounts for nothing. The flesh can do nothing in your spiritual gain for your spiritual gain. And that's the point of this passage. What we have to see is your flesh is subversive. Your flesh seeks to undermine you. And it is, um, it is deceptive. It is murderous. It is self-destructive, right? And you have to understand that even the things that you think you are doing that are good in your flesh, there are fleshly motivations for why you're doing them. So, you know, a, a man wants to marry a beautiful woman, but really he wants to marry the beautiful woman so that he looks like, I don't know, attractive guy right? Uh, or a man wants a successful career and a lot of money, but he doesn't want them because he enjoys the career and what it does for human flourishing. He just wants the car and the house, and the lifestyle. The motivations are really just about himself. Or there's the woman who wants a husband, but mostly because her friends are all getting married. She doesn't know if she's supposed to be married, but her friend's getting married. She doesn't want to be left out. Is that a God desire or is that a self-centered desire? 
You're seeing the motives, the motivations of the heart. We worry about what we do. God is worrying about why we do what we do. That's the that's the real issue of the human heart. It's so deceptive, Jeremiah 17, 9. It is deceitful above all else, the scripture says. Or there's the teen girl who gets straight A's in high school so that she can get into the college of her choice because she wants to be accepted into the institution because being accepted into the institution identifies her as a person of importance. So the motivation is really self-centered. And I'm not saying that this is always wrong, wrong, wrong to do all these things. And God does work through our self-centeredness in many respects. I am just trying to tell you that our hearts are, are, are more destructive and more selfish than we really even realize. By the way, this most often applies in the practice of the Christian life. In the practice of the Christian life, this is huge. So, so a Christian will go to church and uh, obey the rules and read their Bible and do all the prayers and, you know, be religious, but they do it not out of love for God, but they do it out of love for self or recognition or people celebrating them and saying what a good person that they seem to be. Do you understand the human condition is deeper and more flawed than we realize? I talked about purity culture on this podcast a long time ago. Purity culture, what is that? That's where I, I don't have sex before marriage. I, uh, I don't um, even kiss uh, before marriage. I save myself and I am pure, purity culture, uh, until the day I get married. Uh, and I do this not because I want to honor God, but because I believe now that's, that this be, it makes God beholden to giving me the perfect spouse. So really, you're not serving God, you're serving self. And Joshua Harris, who denounced his own book on this, you know, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. We talked about that many, many moons ago on this podcast. And purity culture has uh, a huge footing in the church. And I don't, uh, I don't dismiss that. That is a serious problem because we are not obeying God for God's sake. We're obeying God for our sake. See, the motiv motivations of the heart are deep and dangerous. This is why a gunman will go out and uh, into a risque massage parlor in 2021 and shoot up the employees because he thinks that murder is the way to take care of his lust. <laughs> Do you see it? I'm sorry to be, I shouldn't be laughing at this. It's very sad. It's a very disoriented and disordered view of the human condition. And then the culture comes along and says it's really a racist issue. But we're not dealing with the fact that there's a human heart issue. There is a sin issue in all of us, in all of us. This is why we need our innermost being changed by Christ and his blood. And it's going to happen for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. And I want to show you how beautifully this text comes together along those lines. Let's get back into the text. Turning the page to chapter 5 in 2 Samuel, verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David, and now Ishbosheth is dead, so all the other northern tribes come to David at Hebron, and they say, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over my people Israel. So there's two terms that they recognize that David um, has come to to fulfill. There are two offices that David has come to fulfill, shepherd and prince. Uh, verse three says this, so all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David made a covenant with them, a covenant with them. Very important that we see this uh, at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30, 30 years old when he began to reign. By the way, Jesus was 30 years old when he began to minister. Uh, David was 30 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. So we see the time frame of David's life in this text. We see how long he was reigning in Hebron. That's the lower part of Israel, Judah. 
uh, and just that one tribe. And then he reigns there for seven years. And then he reigns over the whole of the um, nation for 33 years. All these numbers, by the way, are Jesus' numbers. He began his ministry at 30. He finished his ministry, uh, completed his earthly ministry at 33. Uh, and, you know, he reigns over all of us, right, uh, for all eternity. But these are these are important numbers for us to understand. I, I, uh, but more important, again, let's go back to it, is this word covenant. Because what does Jesus say at the Last Supper? He says, this cup is that is poured out for you, Luke 22, 20, is the new covenant in my blood. A covenant is an agreement between two parties involving mutual obligations. Now, I want to unpack something for you. And this is so important for you to see. Jesus... Uh, takes the obligation in his covenant to die for our sins, to bear the weight of our sins on the cross, and to be our shepherd and prince. He takes ownership of us. That's his obligation. Our obligation is to surrender and submit to his lordship and, and to follow him, to give our lives to him. That's that's our obligation. Jesus is covenant in his blood. He, he paid for us. He purchased us. He ransomed us. He redeemed us. These are important terms. Jesus is not just coming to be our best friend. Jesus comes to be Lord and Savior. Jesus comes to be King, Prince, Shepherd. Got it? So that we submit our lives to him as leader, Lord, God, sovereign, not just buddy, not just brother, not just advisor. Got it? This is so important that we get this or else we're going to be stuck in our sins and never change. Let's go on in the story because there's more to it. Watch this. Verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem. This is David's first act after being anointed. It says, he went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. Why is that important? The Jebusites are uh, the seventh of seven nations that God told the people of Israel to cast out of the land. The seventh of seven nations. Seven is the number of completion. Seven days the earth is created. There are seven days to the weeks, uh, seven days to a week. Uh, seven is God's number for creation. We talked about it in the Revelation series on how Revelation is three plus uh, 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 seven is three plus four. The four corners of the earth are invaded by the, the three persons of the Godhead into the world and bringing about the completion of God's purposes in the world. But the Jebusites here in Samuel chapter five, verse six, are the seventh out of seven nations that the people of Israel were supposed to cast out of the land. This is from Deuteronomy 7, one and two. Uh, the Lord says when he brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession, of, um, uh, it says, you will clear away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Seven. Seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. So what David does here is he does what Jesus does for us. He brings to completion the work of our salvation. You get it? David completes the extermination of the foreigners. And then Jerusalem will be established as he takes it from the Jebusites the inhabitants of the land who said that they, and oh, by the way, there's, let's, let's go back to the text here because it's important. Verse six, um, they said to David, you will not come in here. The, the, the blind and the lame will ward you off. They, they think he can't do it. They're, that's like a, they're scoffing at him. They, uh, it says, thinking David cannot come in here. Verse seven, nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. Okay, so we have another picture of the flesh here. Not only is it subversive, but it's arrogant. Just like the Jebusites are. They're arrogant. They think, no, 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 David can't do anything about us. We're too strong. The blind and lame, we'll take him out. We'll just send our blind and lame people against him. And they're so arrogant. That's the flesh, by the way. That was, that was the picture of uh, the apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, totally arrogant. And the Lord just comes in and invades and takes over and re-engineers him for, to become the greatest apostle the world has ever seen. So anyway, 
The story goes on, verse 8, And David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, The lame and the blind shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the Milo inward. And David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. All right. Now, how does he conquer the city of, Je of Jerusalem? This is so cool. Please, please. I know if you're still with me and you're still hanging on, I know it's long, but this is good. Uh, let, whoever wants to take the city, let him get off the water shaft. I have um, been to this water shaft. It's called Joab's water shaft. And the reason why is because First uh, Chronicles 11, 6 uh, reads like this on this very same moment. David said, whoever strikes the Jebusites first shall be chief and commander. <clears throat> and Joab, the son of Zariah, went up first. So he became chief, went up first. Where did he go up? He went up a water shaft. Now I have been to this water shaft. I've been to Jerusalem. I've been to the city of David. And I want to show you a picture here on the screen. This is the Joab shaft. I took that picture from the top of the shaft. It's, it's really quite interesting that you can go to the city right now and see these places. Uh, this is another picture of the lower portion of the water shaft where you would walk in and then you go into that little opening there and up the water shaft. And, and here's what you need to hear. Here's what you need to listen to. You would invade the city from within. You would invade the city from within. Here's another picture. They light it up with all these LED lights like we do here at the deep end. So it's really cool and, and comfortable when you go there. And by the way, this is the city of David. That is, that is what it looks like today. That's the Kidron Valley right here in the middle. This is the Kidron Valley. And then this is the Temple Mount over on this side. It goes that way. And this is considered the city of David where David would have possibly looked down from his palace over here and seen maybe a woman bathing over here. Yeah, we'll get to that story later on, but that's, not, <laughs> that's for future content, right? Um, here's what you need to understand. Da David sends his army into the city of Jerusalem from the inside. It was a fortified city. It's actually still very easily defensible to this day because of its positioning and the topography and the landscape. And so David can't take it by going against the walls and having a front face to face confrontation. He sends Joab up the water shaft and Joab and the nation and the army of David takes Zion, the city of David, Jerusalem from the inside. What's the point? Jesus takes over your life from the inside. He doesn't come confront you. He doesn't come and uh, obliterate you. He doesn't attack you. He doesn't kill you. He doesn't slay you. He comes up on, in, on the inside and he takes up residence in you and he starts to overrule yourself. Mm. This is preaching material right here. <laughs> I love it. Verse 11, And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters, masons, who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had assaulted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Look at that line too. For the sake of his people Israel. That's what Christ does. He is the true king who comes for your sake and establishes you and saves you. And that's who David was and that's what David represents. The last verse we're going to look at, verse 13. Sad verse. David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem, Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibthar, Elishua, Nechveg. Aren't you glad you're not saying these names? Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. Uh, okay. It's just kind of like, again, remember, David was already doing this back in 2 Samuel chapter 3. He was taking wives and having many sons through them to establish his kingdom through physical, natural you know, ancient political means. And now he's doing it again at the end of this conquest of Jerusalem. The point is, is that David ultimately starts, even as he is conquering Jerusalem and winning these wars for the nation of Israel, he is also sowing the seeds for his future failure because these sons are going to attack each other, hate each other, murder each other, rape each other, and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be a very bad scene towards the end of David's life. Here's the point. David is not your savior. 
David needed a savior. He is not the one whom God has sent to save you. He is the one through whom the one God has sent has come to save you. His name is Jesus Christ. We do not get saved because of David. We, be, we get saved because of his son, Jesus Christ. That's why I take you back to Romans chapter 7. Who will save me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from my members? All those little uh, inside voices that are uh, subverting me, arrogantly thinking that I will be my own person and take charge of my own life. Who will deliver me from all of that? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the one who wins in the end. So the struggle inside, a couple of things. The flesh counts for nothing. The flesh is subversive and the flesh is arrogant. Your flesh is always going to make you do stupid stuff. Okay, just like this guy shooting up a massage parlor because he thinks he can take care of the temptation himself mm -mm. in 2021, if you're watching this in the future, in March 2021. And we've got to remember this because we don't win the battle we, with our flesh by ourselves. What do we need? We need to trust Jesus. We need to trust Jesus. And what was, what was David appointed as? Shepherd of God's people. So Jesus is our true shepherd who will provide for us. And Jesus is our prince, as David was the prince, the leader who will guide us. We need to trust Jesus as the shepherd who will provide. And number two, we need to trust Jesus as the leader who will guide. So David unpacks this for us in Psalm uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is the shepherd who will provide. Even David knew that he wasn't tr truly the shepherd. The shepherd needed a shepherd. He, the shepherd that David needed is the shepherd you need, the Lord. I shall not want. He what makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He makes me lie down. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, even though I walk, oh, sorry. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. All these, all these wonderful promises. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my, my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's Psalm 23. David saying, I trust the Lord to be my shepherd who will provide. And then the very next Psalm is Psalm 24. And Psalm 24 talks about the King of glory. Uh, lift up your head, O you gates, and who, you know, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Who's the real King? The Lord, strong and mighty. This is David writing. Don't look at me as the real King. The Lord is the real King. And so David, who is appointed by God as shepherd and prince over Israel in the ancient world and, and, and slowly but surely overrules all the other uh, Sauline, uh, you know, remnants, these, these rebellious remnants of the Sauline kingdom. He comes in, he is a picture pointed to Jesus who comes in and ultimately wipes out that rebellious nature in each and every single one of us, slowly but surely. We call this process regeneration. I'm sorry, sanctification. We call this process Christian growth. We call this process the loving work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the one who began a good work in his faith but to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's your true shepherd. He's your true leader. Trust in him and you win. And that's the talk. And I know I went long. It's been an hour and three minutes. I feels like five minutes to me. I'm not sure it feels like that to you, but if you would do me the wonderful favor, please, of subscribing to all of our social media channels, visit thedeepend.tv where you can do what? You can grab some Deep End swag right here. It has been proven scientifically that if you drink from that tumbler, the beard has been proven scientifically to improve the taste of all your beverages. 
Yes. So check us out at thedeepend.tv where you can buy that. Uh, do me a favor if you haven't already. Would you uh, support The Deep End? Uh, again, thedeepend.tv slash give or the cash tag thedeependtv or you can do the PayPal thing or you can go onto waterschurch.give and, and, and click on The Deep End drop down there. Uh, follow us on Twitter or follow me on Twitter, Tim Hatch Live, and I would be appreciative of that. I am so happy that you joined us. I'm so happy that we are here together and the best is yet to come in 2021. Keep tuning in. I, I think we won't be here for next Tuesday. It's Holy Week, but we will be back in two weeks with The Deep End. God bless you, everybody. See ya. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. The Deep End is brought to you by listeners and viewers just like you. Consider giving today. Hey, if you don't have a home church, come and check us out at one of our campuses. Visit waterschurch.org and you can find a time and location that fits your schedule. Tune in next week for The Deep End with Tim Hatch.